throughout our service, I've had moments to breathe, breathe deeply, to catch my breath, to use this as a time to hear from the Lord insightfully through teaching, through the Word, but also to commune with Him through this service. I hope that this service is a place for you to hear the Word and to commune deeply, to commune deeply with God. And so, our passage that we have for this morning is Daniel chapter 2. And we've been in a series called No Compromise. We're learning from Daniel how to stand firm. And through this passage, as I read it, breathe, listen, find communion with God through the words of Scripture. And so I'll read from Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And then the king gave orders, call in the magicians, the conjurers, sorcerers, all the Chaldeans, tell the king his dreams. And so they came in, they stood before the king, and the the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand it. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell us your dream, and we will tell you the interpretation. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you can tell me not only the interpretation, but what I dreamt as well, You will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. So tell me the interpretation and what I dreamt. And they answered a second time and they said, Well, let the king tell the dream to us first and then we'll tell you the interpretation. Anybody can come up with an interpretation. Not anybody can read your mind. And the king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you've seen the command from me is firm, if you don't make the dream known to me, there's only one decree for you. You've agreed altogether to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. And the the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they answered and said, there is not a man on earth who could tell you what you dreamt. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which you demand, it's it's impossible, it's difficult. There's no one else who could declare it except God or gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. And because of this, the king became indignant and very furious, and he gave orders, destroy all the wise men. Destroy all of the the wise men of Babylon. And this decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And so they looked for Daniel, and they looked for his friends also to kill them because Daniel and his three friends, they were wise men in in, uh, Babylon. And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the the captain of the king's bodyguard, who went forth to kill all of the wise men. And Daniel said to Arioch, What reason is this decree from the king so urgent? And Arioch informed Daniel. He told him about the whole thing. And Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time. Daniel said in verse 16, give me time. I will tell you 
what you dreamt, and I will tell you the interpretation. And so what does Daniel do in verse 17? He goes to his house and informs his friends Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and together they requested compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends and all the wise men would not be destroyed. And then in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes times and epochs, he who removes kings and establishes kings. He is the one who gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He is the one who knows what's in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you've given me wisdom and power. Even now you've made known to me what we requested of you. For you've made known to us the king's matter. In other words, you've made known to us what he dreamt. And therefore Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and spoke to him as follows, Don't kill anybody. Take me to the king. I know what he dreamt, and I will tell him the interpretation. And Ariok hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and told the king, I found a man among the exiles from Judah, who can tell the interpretation and the dream. And the king said to Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I dreamt and the interpretation of the dream? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king is inquired, wise men, conjurers, magicians, divine, nobody can tell you what you dreamt. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place. He who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed for any wisdom within me, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. The images that you saw as I was reading this passage of Scripture are famous images, pieces of artwork from around the world, all of them classical art. This last one strikes me, where you have not a bold Daniel before the king, but a Christ about to be crucified. The witness that we carry to speak into influential places that same blessing and calling is on you. So today I'd like to talk through this passage through three headings. Three things. First, I'm going to talk about mysteries. Mysteries. Secondly, about mysteries sought. And third, mysteries revealed. Mysteries, mysteries sought, and finally, mysteries revealed. And so we'll start off with that first heading, mysteries. This word mystery that appears all throughout Daniel chapter 2, it's a unique word. Students of the Bible recognize that this word in its original language appears nowhere else. So it's a unique idea. And when I think of mystery, I think of cereal. I think of cereal. When I was a kid, as young as some of you here, when my mom would bring cereal home from the supermarket on the on the back, it said, free toy inside. Of course, with my unwashed hands, I would dig into the cereal box 
and all the way at the bottom scrape out the toy. And oftentimes the toy was this cheap little transparent piece of red plastic. But of course for me it was treasure. And so this red plastic, it said it's a decoder for secret codes and mysteries. And if you place it on the back of the cereal box, you will be able to interpret all the mysteries of heaven and earth and all the sky will bow down before you because now you found the red decoder of power. And it would reveal these secret mysteries and this red decoder, this transparent floppy thing, sometimes I would put it over my eyes and I could see the whole world red. And then I would put it on the back of the cereal box and sometimes, and then sometimes, you, you know, you, know you, 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 sometimes I think we approach mysteries like this, that the red decoder will reveal a secret code. If you read it and you put it in the right place, it will reveal a hidden message. Well, we read the book of Daniel and sometimes it's like, okay, well, get out my red decoder and I'm going to read the book of Daniel and I'm going to try to find the secret message, the mystery. I want to crack the mystery. Here's the thing. If we approach the book of Daniel, and what I want to do is lay some interpretive groundwork because we are early on in our study of the book of Daniel. If we approach the book of Daniel like it, it's a, a secret mystery to be decoded with some kind of a red film, we'll probably land up with some interesting, maybe, maybe some off conclusions. One of, the prob- one, of the, uh, uh, one of the biggest problems that I recognize with books like The Late Great Planet Earth or Left Behind is that their interpretation has had to undergo revision throughout the years. Revision. And again, even presently, there is a lot of revisioning going on because the European Union is falling apart. Once Brexit happened... And globalism is not really a thing anymore. Each country in Europe wants its own nationalistic identity. What you have is kind of this dissolution, gradual dissolution of the union, of the European, uh, the, uh, the European Union. And therefore, a lot of the theories that have been come up by some of these Christian interpreters really are beginning to fall, by, uh, fall apart. And therefore, there's the need for revisioning. Even the, the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, has been followed up with revisionings, revisitings after that. What I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to slander other Christian literature. That's not my point. My point is if we approach the book of Daniel and other books of the Bible like we need a red decoder in order to understand it, we will have to reinterpret our theories again and again and again. The mystery of the Bible is not that you need a secret code revealer. The mystery of the Bible is not some great secret. In fact, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus uses the same word mystery again and again. And he doesn't say, now children, get out your red decoder because only you can crack this mystery. No, what Jesus says is that this mystery has been revealed to children. There's nothing hidden about this gospel message. And I think sometimes we're looking for secret messages in the Bible or secret agendas or we're reading the newspaper and we're trying to identify that this is that world order and this is that great beast. This is what you call apocalyptic genre, friends. Apocalyptic genre always has some great beast. For Christians in early Rome, it was very literally beasts. I watched Gladiator last night. My kids are just old enough to watch it with me. Um, 
And the Colosseum in Rome was where many Christians were sent to their death. Literally wild beasts, bears, lions were put into the, into the arena to kill these Christians. So when they use apocalyptic imagery and they talk about beasts, they talk about these animals, but they also talk about empires. There will always be wild beasts. We'll always try to interpret who the wild beast is. But friends, there is no great mystery. The gospel is not a complicated affair. The first principle that I wish to give to you, hopefully you're reading the book of Daniel as we go through this series. The first principle for interpretation, don't look too far. Don't look too far. Don't look for weird answers in the heavens or in the newspapers or with your red decoder. The message is timeless. The message is not a complicated mystery, Jesus himself says. Why would you buy a light bulb and put it under your bed or under a basket? No. Lamp is meant to be put on a lampstand in clear view for everybody to offer light. And then in Mark 4, what he says is, if, anything, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, nothing is hidden. We're not hiding anything here. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it would come to light. In summary, I think what Jesus is saying here is, what is the secret? There is no secret. What is the mystery? There is no mystery. The gospel is accessible to the youngest children in this room, that they will know what it means. I screwed up. I'm not right with heaven. They will understand the idea of a Christ who atones, a good king who comes to make everything right. These are common universal themes. It's not that complicated. Don't look too far when you read the book of Daniel. Don't look too far for the answers. Put away the newspapers. Put away the stock market quotes. Don't worry about what's happening in the European Union. I mean, yes, Jesus is coming back, but he has been imminently returning for the last 2,000 years. I do believe Jesus is returning, but at the same time, I don't think living our lives with a red decoder in hand is the way we're supposed to live. We live prepared, not preparing ourselves because Jesus is coming back in 2019 in August and I can fool around until, September, until June and then maybe I'll get my act together just before Jesus returns. No. As Christians, we are prepared today. Whether he returns tomorrow or in another year, whenever he returns, we prepare ourselves. So put away the newspapers. Put away all the other decoders and all that stuff. Seek the mystery. Seek the mysteries of God. How? Well, this gets us into our second heading. Mysteries sought. How do we seek this mystery? So Pastor Wayne is telling us, put away the decoder. Don't, 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 don't look for, don't look under, you know, these, these esoteric places for answers. Put away the books on prophecy. That's not going to help you. Put away the books on prophecies. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. So then how do we find the mysteries of heaven? How do we understand what God is saying to us in this day and age? How do we know what the mind of God is if there's no prophetic writer that's going to tell us what's going to happen in the Middle East and this nation is going to fall and this tribe is going to happen and then Jesus is going to return in glory? How do we know what to do? Well, the answer is quite simple in verse 17. What did Daniel do? 
Did Daniel say we're going to have to get a sage or a seer? No, in verse 17, what Daniel did is he went and gathered three accountability partners. And with those three accountability partners, just like I'm, I'm starting to meet with people downtown and uh, in, in uh, the Galleria and the Med Center, we're starting to form groups of people. I really, really want for you guys to start forming accountability groups on the highways and byways of life. Church is not just going to happen here on Sundays. Church is going to happen on Wednesday and on Friday over lunch as you meet together, as you hold each other accountable, as we meet and discuss spiritual things and do spiritual self-examination. That's where church is going to happen. Because in the midst of accountability with three or four men or women, what happens? You pray. I used to have a pastor in college that, my goodness, this guy, all he wanted to do was pray. And um, we would be driving somewhere, and he would say, Wayne, let's pray. And I'd be like, now? He'd be like, yeah. And then he'd start praying, and then I'd have to start praying too. And then we're, we're like walking somewhere. I went on a mission trip with him to China, and we're just walking, and he's like, let's pray. My goodness. But I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot. They prayed. That's what they did. They didn't seek some secret mystery or some divine answer or some prophetic. They, didn't, they put away the, the, the prophecy books. What they did was they requested compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. They prayed. So this second piece, the second heading, mysteries sought. How do we seek the mysteries? Pray. I tell you from personal experience, it's very subjective, God will give you more answers in your personal prayer life than you will get from reading those books on prophecy. God will give you more answers when you've sought Him in prayer than from reading all and having all of this esoteric knowledge. Honestly, you don't need to know the interpretations of Daniel, whether this applies to this age or that age. Even the scholars are confused. Even the scholars are confused. Does this apply to Rome? Does this apply to the Hellenistic period? Does this apply to Babylon? Who does this apply? <laughs> Pray. That's where the mysteries of our lives are revealed. And this prayer thing, you know, it really was a legacy of the book of Daniel. When you read the book of Daniel, these guys, it's just like my pastor in college. They're always praying, and it's getting them into trouble. They're always praying. At one point in Daniel 6, uh, he, there's jealous politicians. It's just like Gladiator, right? Jealous politicians, and they want to they kill Daniel. They want to get rid of Daniel, and so they say, we have an idea. This is what we're going to do. We're going to convince King Darius to make a law that forbids everybody from praying to anybody except the king for 30 days. This is a very, just mind you, a very impractical law. It's a very impractical law. Why is it impractical? Because in the Middle East, the ancient Middle East at that time, everybody prayed. Everybody prayed, whether it's to these little figurines Right? or whether they're praying to Zeus or the God of heaven or Marduk or whatever. Everybody prayed. So to say that everybody's only going to pray to the king is very impractical. That's why they said for only 30 days. So it's a temporary law. Now you think about this. You can't pray to anybody except King Darius for 30 days. And Daniel's thinking to himself, hmm, can I get by for 30 days without praying to the God of Israel. I mean, it's, 
what's the big deal? It's just 30 days. Can you go 30 days without prayer? Can you go 30 days without prayer? How many of you have gone 30 days? I'm not trying to belittle any or shame you at all, but I want to challenge you. How many of you have gone 30 days without prayer? Daniel couldn't go eight hours without prayer. Daniel could not go a single day without prayer. And you see this in chapter 6, verse 10, on his knees three times a day. Eight times three is 24. Three times a day, every eight hours, Daniel prayed before the Lord. He sought God. He couldn't go 30. He couldn't go a single day without praying. And not only that, what does Daniel do? He says, well, that stinks. That's a law that I can't pray for 30 days. He goes upstairs and to his windows, he opens them wide so that everybody can see him get down on his knees three times a day. Can you hear the fight in that? Can you hear the fight to that kind of prayer? Windows wide open. Who can see me? I don't care. How many times am I going to pray? Three times a day to the God of heaven. Can you hear the resoluteness in that? The firmness? The persistence? Friends, in our prayers, is there anything that's offensive or stubborn or firm, tenacious, resolute, persistent? Or are our prayers anemic, contentless, prematurely consoled, too short, lacking depth and persistence? undisciplined. Maybe kids, some of you in this room might know what it's like when you were playing hide and seek and you're running around the house and little feet upstairs or down going like this and like, ready or not, here I come. And then you go and then you go into mommy's closet and you look inside mommy's closet and you rush in and you say, I found you, but instead you saw mom on her knees crying. And you saw that, and you quietly, you you were like, you just stepped into the holy tabernacle or something, and you quietly back out, and you're about to shut the door, but you stare at her for a little bit, and you wonder, what's going on there? And then you slowly close the door. Or maybe you were doing that, and then you ran into dad's office or something, and then you saw dad. And you know that dad's been having stress at work. You know that he's been having a hard time with with HR, or maybe he's been trying to start a new company, or maybe dad's been struggling, not that this is just a male province, but, but you know, dad's been struggling with, with, with something, bringing home the bacon, but he never shows it. He doesn't explode, but you see him actually fighting with God on his knees. And you closely, you, you, you quietly close the door as you just kind of realize you just stepped into a holy place. Friends, are your lives marked by that resoluteness of your, of, of your spiritual life? That the legacy you leave behind is one of awe and devotion? I know, I live in Katy. We leave behind a legacy, a material legacy for our babies. We leave behind a moral legacy. We leave behind an education legacy. Friends, let's also leave behind a spiritual legacy. 
Don't just leave a material legacy for your kids. Don't just leave an education legacy for your kids. Leave a spiritual legacy so that when they go back, they'll say, Mom wasn't perfect, but man, she prayed and she cried. Dad, man, that guy, you know, he really, but you know, I saw him wrestle with God. Leave a legacy that is spiritual. And this is the question. This is the fill in the blank for the second heading. What is the legacy of my prayers? Leave a spiritual legacy for the next generation so that they will know what holiness looks like. They will know what fighting looks like. Well, our prayers are like, I can't pray for 30 days. Oh, well, guess I won't pray for... No! Not only will I pray three times a day, I'm going to pray in front of an open window. Why? Because I'm going to fight. Prayer is fighting. Prayer is fighting. Sometimes I have to pray a hundred times a day for whatever reason. I, I won't share that with you. That's my own business. Prayer is fighting. Prayer is attitude change. Attitudinal change does not come about without prayer. So what I'm trying to do is redirect us because we're so interested in prophecy or you know, strange books with strange predictions. What I'm trying to do is redirect our interpretive approach to Daniel from that weird stuff onto the grounds of prayer. At Kingdom City, in the staff meetings, we're talking about starting a Wednesday night prayer meeting for all the congregations. I think this is good. Worship and prayer on Wednesday nights, we're talking about starting that. I hope that you would make room in your lives to cry out to God, to fight to fight, to be persistent, resolute. Well, when I pray, when I pray, it's just, I don't know what to say. It's, I don't know what to say. We did a series on this, Practical Prayer, about how to pray. I don't know how to do it. You know, you know, you know there's one way to learn how to pray. Just do it. Just do it. And we learn through the school of experience. You cannot meet God if you're not talking to God. Just do it. Have a conversation. So, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they pray. They get on their knees and they pray. I don't know how they did it. I don't know what it looked like. I mean, I know how we did it in the church. I was growing up, but whatever. Whatever way that you do it, pray. And God revealed the mystery to them. And this gets us to our third and last heading. The mystery is revealed. Revealed. What was revealed? It's interesting. All of the Babylonians said, nobody can reveal this mystery. And students of the Bible, they recognize, you know, there's an important word. No, no one, no, no one, no human being can crack this mystery. No one can know this mystery. Only God. Only God. And it's a significant phrase. No man, no human, no woman. Only God. But here's the thing. Daniel knew the mystery. Daniel knew the mystery. Does that make Daniel God? No, it does not make Daniel God because in verse 30 what he says is, this mystery has not been revealed for any wisdom residing in me. In other words, yes, no man can know this. And it's not that I'm a special man. It's that God has revealed it to me. Still, no man can know this. 
I am not the source of this wisdom. The mystery does not reside with me. All I did was pray, and God, who knows the mysteries and reveals them, revealed it to me, a humble and holy person of God. A humble and holy person of God. I think there is a revealing of a mystery right here. You know what the answer to the mystery is? I'll reveal the mystery. The answer is you are not God. That's it. You couldn't know this. No matter how much you studied, no matter how much you tried to get the insight, no one can know this. You are not God. And that, I think, is an important point for the book of Daniel. Because whenever we say, I am not God, you take a step closer towards sanity. That's the last fill in the blank. Whenever you say, I am not God, a million times a day, I'm not in control. Just this morning, I had a conversation with somebody about things happening in the denomination. Politics. Don't you love politics? Right? Maneuvering. Working within the company. I am not God. Sanity begins the moment when you say, I guess I'm not in control. Hundred times a day when you say, I am not God, I am not in control, you become little by little more sane. And this is important in the book of Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar, he experiences this. He experiences this. In fact, when Daniel tells him, yes, I saw in a dream. This is not a good interpretation, by the way. The statue, we don't know. Maybe it looked like Nebuchadnezzar. But we definitely know the golden part of the statue, which was, which was the head, represented Babylon. What Daniel was saying was not good news. Your kingdom eventually is going to fall, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you are not God. Man, this guy's got some moxie. So he tells him, you're not God, basically. And King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. And he says, you're right. But what does this lunkhead do a couple of chapters later? Who's read the book of Daniel? What does he do? He gets on his roof and he says, man, I feel pretty good about myself. I did, I did this. I brought us here. I am really, really something special. Maybe I'm God. And boom, insanity sets in. Insanity sets in. There was a man who decided he needed some psychological help. And so he took a trip to see a counselor. And when he sat down, the counselor looked like he was a pretty decent person. And he said, yes, yes, be, please, please, tell me everything about it. Have a seat. Here's a and the, he, he, sits, he sits down on the couch. He says, Doc, I really need help. I think I'm going insane. He says, okay, well, start at the very beginning. He says, the very beginning? Yes, tell me from the very beginning when you started feeling insane. And he says, okay, well, are you sure? Yes. What happened in the beginning? And he says, okay, I'll tell you, Mr. Counselor. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth, and uh, that's, kind of, <laughs> that's, where it all, that's where it all begins. The general descent, the gradual descent into insanity. You think you created the heavens and the earth when you think that you have control, when you think that you have the power to enforce outcomes, when you think that you really can change the way the market moves, when you think that you are in, you know, impervious. Every time... We experience some challenge or setback in life. It's a reminder, I am not God. Every time that happens, you are closer to sanity and health, spiritual health, emotional health, 
you are not God, I am not God. And the more we say that every day, that actually, can you, you can even apply that as a spiritual practice. Pray it. If you're in stress right now, if you're in stress, pray it. Whenever you feel anxiety, I'm not God. He is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. I'm not God. I'm not God. I'm not God. That's actually okay. That's a good prayer. I don't know how to pray, Pastor. Just pray, I'm not God. And see where that takes you. I'm not God. God, I'm not you. God, I'm not you. I'm not you, God. Help me. This sentiment that I am not God, that I am not in control, and I want to conclude with this last story, it strikes me many times. There are many times where I feel like I'm out of control. There are many times where I feel like I don't have things under, you know, there are times I feel like, man, I'm a good leader. I mean, I tell my my wife that, right? And then there are times I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Or there are times where I feel like this part of my life is falling. I don't, I'm not on top of things. And then I'm reminded of this book that I read and this movie that I watched. And it moves me every time I think about it, really. Every time I think about it, it moves me profoundly. And it is the temptation of Lady Galadriel. Yes, it's another Lord of the Rings quote. And Lady Galadriel is talking with Frodo. And they're talking in secret, and Frodo's like, well, you know, this ring, it's burdensome, and I want to get rid of the ring. And she says, yes, but this is your responsibility. And then he says, well, I will give you the one ring if you ask for it. And Lady Galadriel, you know, I'm going to do my best Kate Blanchett voice here. I do not deny that my heart is greatly desired to ask what you offer. And now at last it comes. You will give me the ring freely. In place of the dark lord, you will set up a queen. And I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night. Fair as the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain. Dreadful as the storm and the lightning. Stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me and despair. I love that. Somebody who is trying to be God. With the ring of power in your grasp. And she stood before Frodo, seeming now tall beyond measurement. Don't you want to be tall beyond measurement? Esteemed in the eyes of men and women. And she was beautiful beyond enduring. Woman, don't you want to be beautiful beyond enduring? That whenever you run across a guy, his eyes will just bleed out of his eye sockets. And he'd be like, oh my God. Beautiful beyond enduring. Terrible and worshipful. Don't you want to be like that? And then what did she do? She let her hand fall. And the light faded, and lo, she was shrunken, clad in simple white, whose gentle voice was soft and sad. And then the words that moved me all the time. I pass the test. I will diminish and go into the West and remain Galadriel. Do you know how healthy that is? Do you know how much insight J.R. Tolkien has with those words? I pass the test. Today I diminish. Friends, this is deep spiritual teaching. This goes back to ancient spiritual teaching. Whenever you say, I diminish. No, it's bonus time. It's the end of the year. I deserve better than this. Or I deserve that raise. Why did they overlook me? Why did they overlook my, the advancement? Or how come at the play group the woman didn't kind of acknowledge me? Or how come... Or the men didn't acknowledge me. That goes both ways. I will diminish and go into the West 
and remain Wayne. I will diminish and go to the West and remain, you know, Paul, Nick, or Tanya, Chan, Sang. I will diminish. I will just remain myself. There are spiritual pathways here, friends. And the spiritual pathways, the great mystery revealed, as I conclude with that, is you are not God. Stop trying and let go. Let's pray. Do you struggle today with entitlement? Are you wrestling with delusions of grandeur or correspondingly delusions of insignificance? Did you hear that? You're either on one end or the other. Delusions of grandeur or delusions of insignificance. Both false. Both false. I want to invite you to a time of prayer even now. Let's pray. Let's pray. However you feel led, as the worship team just quietly plays this next song, pray. Commit, make a commitment to prayer. Leave a spiritual legacy. Let's pray together for whatever is on your heart at this time.